Welcome to the Love, Sex and Intimacy podcast for women who want to experience intimate relationships and sex that are pleasurable and passionate, happy, thriving and deeply fulfilling. With my very special guest experts guiding lights and pioneers in their specialist areas, we'll be breaking down the myths, exploring the difficult stuff, the good stuff and seeing what's possible for love, sex and intimacy at this time of rapid change. In these candid and intimate conversations, I'll be bringing you the best of sex and relationship education, full of practical ways to support and inspire change in your intimate life. I'm your host, Sarah Rosebright. Whether you're curious about what's possible or you're already committed to exploring, I'm so happy you are here. Welcome to today's episode with one of my favorite people on the whole planet, uh, Steph Magenta. Steph, many of you know, is a really, really dear friend of mine. and We've done many things together as well um, in terms of work. So we've, we've run retreats together for a number of years, women's retreats, and, and run a whole host of different events and workshops. And so I've invited Steph here today in her capacity as a breathwork facilitator and teacher. She's co-founder of Integrative Breath School, which is a breathwork training and um, you know one of the, 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 the schools at the forefront of, of the growth of breathwork. So Steph talks about what breathwork is and why it's growing in popularity, the importance of safe practice in breathwork and what safe practice looks like and how the quality of our breathing affects our lives, the difference between mouth and nose breathing. We also talked about the benefits of mouth taping, something we both both do, and also how breath and presence affects our, our ability to be with another, to be intimate. So we also had a really great chat about health and well-being, as Steph has just been so inspiring on her fitness journey this year. And she talks about her key lesson from her experience of burnout, why it's important to take your well-being into your own hands, her journey with cold water exposure and fitness. And also we talked about sort of fitness at uh, menopause years as well. And also the difference between pushing and allowing in her fitness journey in life. So there is a lot of wisdom and wonderful stuff in here. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Welcome to this episode where I am super, super happily, excitedly delighted to be joined by the one and only, my dear, dear, gorgeous superstar sister friend, Stephanie Magenta. Welcome. Oh, thank you, Sarah. I'm going to try really hard not to just keep giggling at the joy of being in this environment with you. Ah, so some of you know uh, Steph and I in terms of our work together and also individually and if you don't know of Steph Magenta you're in for a treat and Steph is somebody who is just one of the dearest dearest people in my life and so it's a real delight to invite her on today to talk about your work which is breath work so welcome thank you again yeah I could talk about breath work as you know (laughs) until the cows come home (laughs) beautiful well we've got however long we need so I would love to start with what to you is breathwork because there's so many different types out there so how would you define breathwork? It's a really good question actually because um, there are so many different types because you know we've all been breathing since we were born so you know and in a way some people say well why do I need a coach why do I need a teacher why do I need to learn how to breathe well We can come to that later, but everybody knows how to breathe and it's instinctive and it's part of our nervous system. But the practices that bring it into more conscious awareness, which is what I consider to be breath work as a practice, are so wide reaching, so old, you know, it's it has roots in yogic practices that have been going back thousands of years. Um, Most fundamentally kind of um, people that intentionally work to settle their nervous system or to come into deep meditative states will use the breath as the anchor monks recluses hermits uh, pilgrims all know the importance of the breath so breath work spans from pranayama to rebirthing transformational breathing conscious connected breath functional breathing 
Buteyko breathing. Uh, there are so many, there's too many to name, in fact. Uh, but it, that breath work is, for me, is the conscious intention to use the breath as a tool to help regulate the nervous system, amongst other things. Mm. And just to bring in that you have your own training that you've established, integrative breath. Mm. So perhaps you could share a little bit about your breathwork school and what's unique about that. Sure. Your way of breath work. Yeah, um, well, the, the, for, for us, the indicator's in the name. Um, I co-founded it with a dear friend and colleague, Dr. Ray Rydell. And before we came into the uh, founding the breathwork training, we both got into a lot of conversations about what was important to us, both personally in our lives and then as in our core values. Um, and professionally and what we wanted to bring into our training and we definitely wanted to bring in um, trauma awareness expanded trauma awareness we wanted to bring in more on the anatomy and physiology of breath we wanted to bring in a lot on uh, well I won't say a lot actually but a good amount on the science of breath so that our students could answer questions that they were asked by people coming towards it and most importantly of all perhaps because I think this is a very missing piece in a lot of practices these days not just breath work in your field of work and in many other trainings integration before we get to integration we have to process and digest what we've learned because you can't integrate something that you haven't processed uh, one of the reasons why the training is longer than some trainings and why I think longer trainings are important actually but yeah it's integrative breath is all about integration we get to that end point where we're actually able to use the things that we've learned mm. and um we know it, breathwork it just you know watched you set this breathwork school up and you know how so much has, has grown the last few years and, and breathwork has just exploded so why do you think this has been this sort of massive shift in in the availability of breathwork why is it such a growing speciality mm, again another great question i think that the world is going through such a rapid transformation at the moment that for many of us, it's really difficult to keep up, actually. And particularly that's been amplified and uh, exacerbated in the last two and a half years as we saw a global pandemic and we saw a significant increase in mental health challenges. We saw a significant increase in the breakdown of communities and the normal places that people might be able to resource themselves broke down, broke apart and and that's been well documented you know with rises in alcoholism rises in addiction based uh behaviors rises in um, traumatic experiences in the home environment and won't go into detail with that but i think what it all points to is the world was already going very rapidly even before that that slowed everything down and created problems in and of itself but prior to that, I think because we live in this industrial age where everything has been about productivity and everything has been about uh, values been based in monetary systems rather than in personal systems of what our core values are, they haven't had much space. And we've been trained to believe that we're only a value if we're productive. And so yes, COVID had an influence on that because of course everybody had to learn how to work differently. But prior to that, we were seeing burnout, we were seeing diseases that hadn't been there before, an increase in fibromyalgia, an increase in chronic uh, fatigue, an increase in basically in, in what you could say is the way that our immune systems and our bodies are working in a healthy way. And so to me, it's no surprise that these somatic practices of which breathwork is a very important one are growing because Everything I've just talked about points to the increase in stress. Stress is the biggest cause of dis-ease, disease, illness, and it's also one of the greatest reasons that we come out of our connection to embodied self, authentic self, because everything's firing too fast. We're in adrenaline and cortisol all the time. In your work, I'm sure you see as well that where people haven't learned how to manage stress, there isn't much room for pleasure. 
there isn't much room to live a juicy and vital life because we're just firefighting all the time to get through the day or to manage whatever we've got to manage if we're spinning 10 plates at a time. Yeah, so I think I think that's a, really the fundamental reason why, because it, it has and continues to grow exponentially, which brings in its own issues around competency in practice and ethics mm. in practice. Mm. I'd love to come back to that actually um, further on in terms of safe practice, um, because I think it's such an important question for people who may be listening who'd like to go and explore breath work and and so we'll come back to that so and obviously when we are full of stress and, and adrenaline and all these things one of the most immediate things that's affected is the quality of our breathing so i'd love to start with the sort of that bigger picture of of how the breath our, our quality of breathing affects our lives mm, um well the breath accompanies everything that we do because we we are we are bioenergetic systems so our neurophysiology the way that our nerves work affects the way that our body works it affects our hormone production it affects our breath it's affecting our heart rate our heart rate if it increases and we're going into sympathetic nervous system responses or fight flight for audience listeners who may be know less about the autonomic nervous system the part of us that is responding to those stress hormones is always firing and charging and if we can understand that the way that our body works is influenced by what we eat how we sleep how we think what we're feeling what kind of old memories are firing old stories in the system and creating the same kind of loops, we have a chance to break through them and we have a chance to do things differently. There's that saying, keep on doing what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. And it's so true because in our systems, we are often repeating the same response patterns to things. So for me, breath work and the awareness of breath work allows us to change those response patterns if we are tense we're going to have shallow breathing if we're anxious we'll have shallow breathing if we're relaxed and we're at peace and we're calm we're going to have deep steady breaths and that allows our system to again everything working in reciprocity in a loop allows our digestion to work more well more thoroughly it allows our heartbeats to slow down we're less likely to be on the edge of cardiovascular issues respiratory issues digestive issues hmm. and and i mean I, I need to say as well here because you know my background you know it isn't about one thing is a fix it for everything there are so many factors that create what is uh you know a healthy and balanced human being hmm. Um, and, and I'm reminded of um, our dear friend Barry, who's recently passed, and he, he was saying, you know, our breathing, he believes that if we were more breathing more optimally, so many things that people go every day to see the NHS for would just not be needed, mm. you know, like because our digestion would be better, our energy levels would be better, all of these different things. Um, so, so what sort of things might people... Um, uh, what sort of things do people notice when they address their breathing? What sort of benefits do you find for your clients, for people who come to your group work? Well, I think one of the first things that I like to move towards with any clients that I'm working with in one-to-one -one or groups, although in one-to-one -one normally it's because somebody's got a specific thing that they've come about, whereas a group there's a multitude of reasons that people might have for being there. So it's easier to get to know what we're working with in a one-to-one -one situation. So I'll address that first. But um, more often than not, people come because they have heard this constant call. When I say heard the call, I mean they feel in their system that something is out of balance or they know they're not living in the way they want to live or they're right on the edge of breakdown, whether that's physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever it is and they're reaching out and they want some support. Um, so they might be coming because they're incredibly stressed. 
They might be coming because they are already burning out. They might be coming because their sleep is terrible. They might be coming because their relationships are showing a repeating pattern. Probably lots of the same reasons that people come to see you, except it's more focused on the tools and skills that I can bring in through the breath to help regulate the nervous system. And, mm. and how that changes people and how it affects people's lives is really profound. And I can only speak, I mean, I see it all the time, but I'll speak to my own experience that as somebody who was an, on the edge of burnout and then had a full on burnout, um, you know, eight years ago now, I have had to unlearn so much through embodiment, through touch, through becoming quiet and still, through learning how to regulate my breathing. And so now I still have things that trigger me. I have, still have things that are difficult, that are probably in an old loop from my past. But when I can recognize, oh, something's coming up in my system now and it, it's asking for my attention because that's what it is it's it's kind of you know it's probably an inner child part that needs some kind of looking after or holding but on the purely practical level okay all of this is coming up i feel immensely stressed what's the first thing i can do to regulate myself is try and slow my breathing um and it's not always you know, if you tell somebody who's in the middle of a panic attack or high anxiety to just breathe, they'll probably want to punch you. So so if you can get this information in there before somebody's in an acute uh, moment of that um, crisis or whatever it is, then it's going to equip them to deal with those moments or when they're in between those episodes. So I've worked with quite a lot of people who have high levels of anxiety and just by helping them learn to regulate the breath, when the anxiety comes up, that's when they can then bring the practice in. That's when they can, we call it down regulation, but that's when they can down regulate their nervous system a bit and self-soothe. Mm, yeah, self-soothe is a beautiful word. And you mentioned, you know, your burnout then, because I know that was a, such a significant thing. And it's, and it's such a huge thing for so many people who are either on the way to burnout or, or living in um, some form of burnout, what would you say for you were the sort of really significant lessons of that experience? I think, okay, look, um, most of us have come through life and um, experienced trauma of some kind or another. And we often refer to this as big T trauma and little t trauma. And I don't really like that distinction because I think trauma is trauma is trauma and how it affects us. But, you know, there might be the trauma that has been experienced from a critical parent constantly repeating a certain message that then makes us believe something about ourselves. Or there might be the kind of trauma that is uh, intergenerational. There might be the kind of trauma that is... Uh, from displacement through war, poverty, famine, uh, culture, gender, all kinds of things that bring this into our system. And it's something of a luxury in some ways and in some of those examples I've just given to talk about slowing down because many people feel that they can't because maybe they're having to work that hard in order to bring in the money to pay the bills. But for a lot of people, it, it's based in an illusory quality of what is important, what gives value, why somebody might be getting love, for example, or approval, for example. Um, and so the biggest lesson for me as somebody who was definitely keeping myself very busy to avoid some of the old stories and the old feelings, I just didn't know how to do it. It's not that I was intentionally trying to avoid them any longer. I've been in fact, the opposite, I'd been really doing a lot of the work, but I didn't know how to break the pattern of being busy. And I remember once one of my daughters coming to stay with me and she said, Mom, do you ever stop? Like, you're just, just always on the go. And I was like, really, am I? Well, I, it doesn't feel that way. And then another ref friend reflected it back a couple of years ago, only that recently, even though I dealt with burnout. Gosh, you know, you need to take a day off in the week, which I now do. Um, but the biggest lesson was in, in, in that discomfort of slowing down because I had to, I was forced to, couldn't get off the couch sometimes. 
I had to learn to listen to my body more. And one of our good friends, Gavin, <laughs> he caught on to something very insightfully said, I feel like you're still pushing your body to get better soon, Steph. I'm going to send you this video, video to watch and sent me this Matt Kahn video. And I suddenly realized that even in my exhaustion, I was frustrated with my body. I was pushing my body to recover more quickly so I could get back to work or get on with things. And that was the turning point for me because it was like, oh, if I actually go, hang on, buddy, you're giving me signals here. How do I take care of you? And what do you need me to do? I was able to do that. But it's also going beyond the fear that if I stop, I will, everything will stop. My income will stop. My money will stop. My productivity will stop. I'll lose everything I've got, which is like primal root chakra stuff, you know? And, and many times that's valid. Mm. So yeah, it was listening, learning to listen to my body, to the, the I won't say whispers because they were shouts by then, literally yeah. shouting. My body was shouting at me. I was coming out in lumps and rashes and all sorts of strange symptoms. And as a, as a licensed body worker and now embodiment therapist as well, I realize how much the body is constantly talking to us and how little we hear of those messages. Mm. Yeah. And also what you mentioned there as well, the slowing down to be able to listen, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is where the breath comes in as well. Mm. Um, because when we're, but we're so busy, and I know because I know that place so well that we're not even taking a breath. I mean, I'd, I'd often be breath holding would be, I still have to watch myself doing that now as a common response pattern. I could be reading a book and like, I'm holding my breath, <laughs> <laughs> breathe. <laughs> So many people do that. So many people are not aware that they are holding their breath or that they're not breathing deeply or that they're rushing around. And they have most of us, as we get about our days, have no focus. But I do now, interestingly enough, because it's become connected to the way that I walk and the way that I move. And and I so see the value of slowing everything down that I'll feel myself if I'm speeding up and I'll feel my breath speeding up with the rest of me speeding up and then I'll be like oh hang on a minute I'm starting to get slightly agitated about something or or needing to get somewhere at a certain time and I just go no just slow down take a breath move in a different way and we need of course those upregulation moments because you know we need an element of the sympathetic nervous system the fight flight kind of activation to get out of bed to get things done and that's healthy that's natural but it's when it's in imbalance and so we're constantly producing cortisol adrenaline we're constantly in that business that that's what's so damaging to our systems because it's creating acid in our system it's creating therefore inflammation in our system mm -hmm. so we need to come back to bringing in these more nature attuned you know we're coming into in our hemisphere autumn winter where everything in nature slows down and nature's a great teacher but we tend to not do that we just carry on and put on another layer and do the same things we did in the middle of summer. <laughs> Unless you're post-menopause and then it's great because you <laughs> or not so great, but then everything can really like, oh yeah, okay, I'm gonna take my rest. <laughs> <laughs> I love what you share as well, you know, similar to you know, a lot of reasons people might come and see you, they might also come and see me. And, you know, one of the first things I do when I, when I work with my clients is bring their awareness to how they're breathing, mm. because it's such a fundamental part of pleasure. And I love the saying, the more you breathe, the more you feel, <laughs> you know, quite literally, as we breathe um, more fully, more pre with more presence, with more awareness, we can bring more sensations and feelings online mm. and um, access more presence, more connection, more feelings, more pleasure, all of this wonderful stuff, which makes up intimacy. Mm. Um, so I'd love you to, to speak to that and what you what maybe might be from your personal experience or what you've witnessed with with clients or students. I think. Um... One of the greatest gifts that we can give to another person and to ourselves is presence. 
So the presence to ourselves comes through the awareness of what's driving us and what's um, moving us in this world. But the presence to another human being is the foundation of intimacy. And how can we be present to another human being if we are not present with ourselves? So for me, that is about the down regulation of everything, slowing things down so that we can feel. As you said, we slow the breath down, we feel more. We breathe in more deeply, we feel more. I mean, my practice is, is, is different in the sense of the open mouth connected breath is a slight activation. And we can talk about that mm. if you want later. But in terms of um, being relational with somebody and being able to actually slow down and feel the breath is crucial. I was listening actually to Kalindi talking yesterday on, on the podcast where she was speaking about the awareness of the arm that's being touched and the hand that's touching, for example, in, in the being the essence of self-pleasure, that self-pleasure isn't just another word for, you know, what would have been called something else back in the day, which we don't need to name here. But, but self-pleasure for me is the breath. It's like, oh, I'm alive. You know, the word for breath in many cultures, indigenous cultures, traditions is the same as the word for spirit. It is our connection to our life force. You know, we breathe in the womb through the placenta and unfortunately due to medicalization of birth, many, many children and babies, are, that cord is cut way too soon. And it's, it's the first trauma in a way because they, they're forced to take their first breath before the lungs are ready, before the lungs are open. If they stay attached to the placenta, the placenta continues the breathing while they strengthen their lungs. You cut that cord and it's like, <gasps> and it's like a burning sensation that will come into the infant, which is what makes them scream and cry a lot of the time. So from that breathing through the placenta, through the mother, breathing with our first breath in the air to exhaling the last breath that we give back, we are always accompanied by the breath and mm -hmm. it's always there being our guide in a way so for me that's the pleasure the pleasure is the simple gratitude and awareness that i have that not only am i breathing therefore i'm here and i'm alive but also that i can take responsibility for learning how to work with my breath in ways that fundamentally support my well-being mm. yeah beautiful and you mentioned conscious connected breath work which is the specific way that you're, you offer breath work. So mm. I'd love you to share what that is for people who don't have never heard of it. Mm. So um, conscious connected breath work is typically an open mouth breath work practice, which on a day to day basis is not what people want to be doing. We need to relearn to breathe more fully and wholly in and out through the nose. So I really want to caveat that in this conversation. Open mouth breathing practice isn't something that I think people should be doing every day in high activation because the more we bring oxygen into the blood through this open mouth practice, not the body, it's, it's the blood that's getting rapidly oxygenated and our CO2 levels are dropping and don't have the chance to come back up. So we start um, activating parts of ourselves that we may not be aware of on a day to day basis because we are in a different environment. We've gone to do breath work but we are bringing in an activation of the sympathetic nervous system because when we breathe in that way that is what happens when we're in sympathetic states previously when we've been in sympathetic nervous system states it's usually because we're having to do something fast act fast get away from something fast uh we're in shock we're, and what happens our breathing becomes shallow and we're taking in a lot of oxygen the carbon dioxide levels drop our pupils we're getting ready to run our pupils dilate we're, we're our digestion stops now you can already hear like if that's a sympathetic nervous system response and we're typically in that day-to-day -day, and our digestion is slowing down and all these things are happening in the body then our systems are not working at optimum level so when we bring in these connected breathwork practices we intentionally create what we call hormetic stress. So a little bit of low level stress to the system, but, but we're in control. We are now saying, all right, this is something that I'm doing to bring more awareness to my breath, to bring more awareness to my nervous system. And um, we have the chance to meet those parts of ourselves where 
those things have been activated in the past outside of our choice or outside of our control to bring it into awareness because the body doesn't really know the difference between there and then and here and now. And so oftentimes the same kind of responses, whether they be hormonal, physiological, emotional or mental, will start to fire in a breathwork session, which is why it's such a powerful modality. And I'm talking specifically about conscious connected breath for um, trauma release and healing and bringing greater awareness in. But we don't only use it for that because otherwise we can get stuck in this concept that we're all broken. It's all about pain and suffering. And sometimes it's pleasure joy, opening, excitement, potential. Because if we are switching off our default ways of thinking, our default mode networks, in any practice, we're opening to new possibility because we're not just going back into the hard wired grooves of our nervous system. Mm. That was a long winded answer, wasn't it? No, it's great. <laughs> and, and, and I love that you brought in that it can be for pleasure. So I've had sort of many breathwork experiences where they've been really transcendent where I've just felt like um, with such such peace, like my body's blurred with all the ears and yet, you know, and, and so it can be so many things and a bit like a yoga session, you, can, you can't go with any expectations. You never know what's gonna happen, do you? It's about giving yourself to the practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned before, because obviously um, I know that you have uh, a very much trained in trauma and that's a real big part of your, significant part of your training. So obviously people can come to your school if they want to practice conscious connected breath. And I know you've also got a directory of practitioners now that have been trained with you. Um, But for somebody who is wanting to practice breath work safely, but they might want to go to a local group, which maybe is somebody that's not been trained by you. How might somebody, what might somebody look out for to find Mm. out whether the practitioner holding space is qualified or experienced enough to do so? Yeah, that's a fantastic question and one that I really appreciate. Thank you. Um, the first thing is we we become disconnected from our felt sense and our intuition as we move through life. And it's really basic. It's like we start out, at, you know, say from infancy and toddlership and being a young child into making decisions. Are my needs met? Is this world safe? And if they're not, then we adapt. And that that adaptation is a maladaptation because basically we are often being told that our responses are not appropriate. What are you making such a fuss about? Why are you so angry? Don't be silly. Rather than having somebody come and meet us where we are and say, oh, that must have been hard how can I support you or let me give you a hug or you know whatever it is that's needed so we learn that our instinctive and intuitive sense is often wrong and we start to go into the mind and we second guess so when we meet a practitioner or we go into a space we often give away our personal authority we give away our felt sense and Obviously, if you've already got to a space, you've made a decision, you're in a group and then and hopefully that's a good, solid decision. But what you want to be looking out for on the way there is, is this practitioner providing waivers? Are they talking about previous health and psychiatric um, issues that might be contraindicated in breath work? Are they giving me all the information I need to make informed choices about whether or not I want to be touched? and how and where are they giving me the option not to be touched if I don't wish to be touched are they giving me ways that I can regulate my breathing if I get in trouble if I get into hot water and it feels too much are they talking about extended out breaths or nose breathing or other alternatives and kind of coming to that place where you really do your due diligence in terms of finding someone because there are a lot of practitioners out there who go to a breathwork session maybe they do it with a friend or maybe they do it once or twice or maybe they've done it more than that but um they're not aware of the contraindications or the people that shouldn't be doing dynamic breathwork practices or they're encouraging more and more cathartic responses as a way to have evidence that this stuff works whereas in actual fact, most people want to stay away from catharsis in order to be able to do what we said at the beginning, which is process, digest and integrate. And that said, catharsis is nothing to be afraid of. If it happens, it's what took me into breath work. But 
so I'd say do your due diligence, ask where they trained, ask who, who they trained with, how long they trained for, whether they're certified and insured, and then those are the things you might want to be looking out for as well. Mm. Are they aware of the energetic boundaries in the space that you're in, the physical boundaries? Are there people coming in and out of the space that are going to make you go, oh, I'm in the middle of a really intimate share here. Who's that? Why are they coming in? I'm in the middle of my breath work and somebody's just walked behind me and I don't know who they are. You know, it's like, is the, sa- is the space safe? Is the facilitator safe? And safety has different thing means different things to different people. But in this case, we are literally talking about competency training and um, holding of space. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. And I, you know, I really value the way that you hold space and train your practitioners to hold space. Just little things like, for example, um, when people are lying down and we have our eyes closed, ready to start the breath work, then you invite people to raise their hand if they don't want to be touched. So they don't have to share that in a group. And it can be, you know, just really, really little things like that, that just make all the difference to somebody feeling safe enough to say what they need or to not be put on the spot. And, you know, you pay such attention to detail in your space holding. I'm, you you know, I've not done your training, but obviously I've held space with you many, many (laughs) times and I've been to your sessions and breathwork sessions and things. And I think that's such a uh, one of your many superpowers and (laughs) ones that you um, you really imbue in your students as well. Well, hey, I've been in sessions where where somebody has gone through the contraindications, the list, and there's maybe 10 things on that list, and then said in a room when everybody's sitting there and these people don't know each other and they've never met before and they may or may not honour confidentiality because that may or may not be part of their value system, and somebody will read out the contraindications and then go, has anybody in the room got any of those? <laughs> and, and you know, you're sitting there and I've seen somebody do that and they go, oh, would you like to tell us what it is? And I'm thinking, flipping heck, you know, Maybe that person doesn't want to say that they're, they have epilepsy or that they're in a delicate pregnancy. Maybe that person doesn't want to say they've got heart conditions or whatever else it is that's on that list. And to me, that's what I say is not rocket science, but to other people who don't have that awareness of, of the tenderness of the human condition and the privacy that people have a right to in terms of what they want to share or how they want to share it is is something that's really overlooked yeah absolutely absolutely and you mentioned um there about nose breathing as well because you talked about how conscious connected breath work is through the breath but i know that you know there's exceptions where people might have uh, used nose breathing um and i think you know mouth breathing it was a big shock to me when i learned that i wasn't meant to breathe through my mouth because that's i i think i i believe part of the reason I learned to breathe through my mouth was I smoked for so many years. Mm. And so you're naturally uh, breathing in through the mouth. And it's taken me sort of quite a while to retrain myself to breathe through my, breathe through my nose. Um, And I'm curious to have a little conversation about something we've both explored, which is, is mouth taping. Um, Because for me, mouth taping, I feel definitely helped in my um, movement towards uh, nose breathing and also has helped with my sleeping because when I uh, use it at night, the mouth taping, I I don't wake up with a dry mouth and um, I think it helps me to get into a deeper sleep Mm -hmm. because I'm accessing that sort of deeper part of my nervous system, I guess, in terms of parasympathetic nervous system. So, yeah, I'd love you to speak to that. Mm, uh, I'm a big advocate of mouth taping um, and and thanks to you that came more into my awareness because (laughs) I think a lot of people I'm fascinated that you um, you made that link between yourself and smoking history um, because that's yeah that's a really great example of the ways that we might breathe in a different way according to what we're doing but you only have to go on to Uh, public transport and other places where people are nodding off and you see people falling asleep with their mouth open strong likelihood they're doing that in bed as well especially when people go to bed absolutely exhausted and um, and Patrick McEwen who's one of the big advocates of functional breathing said he can watch fights like in the big boxing competitions and MMA competitions and he can usually tell who's going to lose the fight based upon their breathing 
So some people, they're in that adrenaline state, particularly, you know, competitive fighters or competitive sports, actually, not just fighters. Um, they're in the adrenaline state already because they're in competition. And so if they can then regulate their breathing and really slow their bodies and they can actually make their physiology work for them, their chances of being increasing their performance and deepening their performance are amplified. And we're the same, of course, except obviously we might not be using it for those reasons. But for me, I certainly like I think I have um, a kind of light to moderate sleep apnea that's come along since menopause because menopause changes bodies. And it shows itself in light snoring sometimes, but also when I've asked partners who I've slept with or been in the bed with at the same time, like, am I snoring? Am I snoring? Am I snoring? Because nobody wants to be a big snorer. <laughs> uh, and they'll say, no, but sometimes you kind of stop breathing and then you make these little gasping noises. And that's usually a, a form of sleep apnea. And in doing that, there's not a regular pattern of breathing. And I might then be reverting to breathing through my mouth to, to take in more air because paradoxically, that's what we think we might need to do to, oh, I need to open my mouth and take in more air. But we are not filling the lungs as well as we are when we're breathing through the nose. Mm -hmm. We're not activating the nitric oxide, which only comes through the nose, which is what helps deliver that oxygen to our vital organs. And so in our sleep, our oxygen isn't really being used optimally so the mouth taping trains us because our mouths are taped closed and this is not gaffer tape and it's not huge pieces <laughs> it's like you know to anybody listening it's a particular microporous tape that you can get from a chemist and that's perfectly adequate and you can have a really small piece because it can be triggering for some people having their mouths covered it was for me in the beginning but I had started with a really small piece and I just noticed then that I would wake up feeling more refreshed, that I would sleep through the night instead of waking up to go to the bathroom, that things were changing in my sleep quality. Things were changing. I wasn't waking up with that dryness in my mouth. I wasn't waking up feeling exhausted. And, you know, I mean, when you first started doing it and you were mouth tape on, earbuds in, eye mask on, I was like, <laughs> ain't nobody getting in there. <laughs> How'd you do that with a partner? <laughs> uh, fortunately, at the time I started exploring this, I was in relation with myself and I was single. So it gave me the freedom to be um, to not feel shy, because I think perhaps you need to know somebody yep. pretty well to be able to do all of that stuff confidently. Um, but yeah, it's a game changer because it, it now I don't use it all the time by a long shot. I really don't because I can feel that my sleep quality is improved. And on a day to day level, I can feel that I'm breathing through my nose more. Um, yeah, it's it is absolutely a practice. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it, isn't it? Just bringing that awareness to our breath every day. Where am I breath holding? Where am I breathing through my mouth? And just being curious about it and um, stopping and pausing and just taking a breath and just bringing more of that awareness into the day to day just that that trickles out into everything mm. um and i know that something that's become really important to you particularly this year is uh fitness i know you've been on a journey with cold water exposure and now really um real uh, fitness journey and it's been such an inspiration to watch especially knowing you as somebody who was not into that at all and seeing like now that you're doing it and, and with such joy as well you know with just such pleasure and joy so I'd love you to share because I know people who will know you um, who are listening will have seen your journey on social media um, but I'd love to, to hear you share sort of what what brought you to this what got you into this and, and tell people what you're doing mm. um probably a large part of what brought me into it was to do with menopause and postmenopause, actually. Um, but you know, it's interesting, because you say, because you know me, you know that I wasn't necessarily into that. But when I was younger, I was I was very much into circuit training, I was very much into pushing my body, I cycled everywhere, I was very, very active. 
and but it came from a pushing place i was the same with any kind of therapies it was like all of the light therapies that were like strokey and non-invasive and reiki and all of that it was like meh no give me a really vigorous you know sports remedial massage everything had to be hard and firm for me to feel it and that was the big metaphor of actually what was going on underneath that mm -hmm. you know and relate to the burnout so after burnout um my compulsion was to rest so i wouldn't have been able to do what i'm doing now and i also think it's important to say that every body is different and i don't think during the menopausal perimenopausal journey i'd have been able to exert this much energy because i think we're meant to slow down and we're meant to tune in but also what menopause does is it for women it dumps a lot of fat around our midriff it changes our because our hormone levels change and because our bone density changes the body has the intelligence to do what it needs to do to protect our fragile bones or our systems and i i knew that i had stamina i knew that i had the capacity to go like a duracell bunny which is for those who are listening in other countries is an advert but duracell bunny is a battery and it never stops and i knew i had that capacity but that wasn't the same as fitness and, and in actual fact, it was going to Portugal last winter that took me into the cold water exposure and made me aware that I wasn't so fit because the river that we were going down to swim in every day, apart from the fact that it was freezing cold, was up and down a hill that wasn't huge, but it was steep enough that by the time I got halfway up, I'd be breathless. So, you know, linking it to the breath, I'd be like, oh, Okay, and this is again where Patrick McEwen's work comes in because most of us don't know what our CO2 tolerance or intolerance is like. We don't know what our lung capacity is like because we're not testing it very much. So I was walking up that hill and going, oh my God, I'm halfway up the hill and I've got to stop. And then I'd take 10 more steps and I'd have to stop. And I thought, okay, Steph, you're out of shape. You're not in the best fitness condition that you could be. And going down to the river because it was so exquisite where we were i went through a huge resistance and you could say well why did you do it and i don't actually know but i kind of went in and i'd always come out feeling amazing i'd come out feeling amazing but i'd have massive resistance to going in and then one day i remember going in slowly doing what everybody who first comes to cold exposure does which is like <gasps> holding the breath tensing the body making up a story this is horrible why am i doing it who likes cold showers anyway or who wants to swim in ice water and the dialogue that would kick off in my mind was insane and then this one day I suddenly went you're making this 10 times harder than it needs to be how about you just walk slowly in and you breathe deeply and I did it and it was a lot easier so the next day I went in and I went okay mind you're not running the show here you're not telling me a story I'm just going in and the more I did that the more I got used to doing that and the less I had the physical, mental, emotional resistance going on. So, um, and again, it's that hormetic stress thing, you know, it's like um, I listened to um, Andrew Huberman's podcast, one of my favorite, amazing, amazing podcasts that are so thoroughly backed by the science of breath, the science of the mind, neurology, it's not all breath related, but he's done quite a lot on cold exposure and heat exposure and the benefits of those things. And, you know, we live in largely, or many of us do anyway, largely centrally heated, comfortable environments where our bodies are no longer tested. We have transport and we tend to get in our cars even to go to the local shops now. So we're not moving our bodies in the way that they should. We're not exposing our bodies to those extremes in temperature in the way that might be benefit, well, it is beneficial. And there's plenty of research study out there into heat therapy, cold therapy, breathing. I really recommend that readers who are uh, listeners who are interested uh, look that up and that podcast up as well. Um, so basically, um, yeah, it's, it's been this journey of identifying where I was perhaps weaker than I could have been, but not coming into it from a pushing place, coming into it more into a receptive place, like what do I notice I'm feeling? Oh, I'm feeling good. 
oh, I'm feeling that my sleep's improving. I'm feeling that I can regulate my body temperature so much more. I don't need the heating on as much at home. I can climb up hills. You know, you and I live near Glastonbury Tor. I can get up and down to the Tor so much more easily now than I could in the beginning. Um, so I think, yeah, my fitness journey has been a part of that desire to actually build my core strength. You know, I, I'm in this for longevity. Nobody knows how many breaths we've got left in this lifetime. But as far as I have any control over that or influence, let's say, over that, then I want to be healthy and well so that I can support my kids and support my community and live a good life. I don't want to be ravaged by disease and in and out of hospitals that although they definitely have their place in, in healthcare and incredible progress has been made. I'm also really about the wild medicine of nature and outdoors, herbs and plants and fresh air and clean water. I'm also about the wild medicine of, of breath and cold and, and, you know, the resources that we have that are readily available that don't just go and take a tablet to suppress a symptom, but actually meet those feelings. We live in a traumatized society, a traumatized culture. Mm. And a medicalized. I was, I, it reminded me when I lived on the Wirral and there was a doctor's surgery and pretty much everybody in their um, patients list, about, apart from about three or four people were, who were over 60 or 65 were on some form of medication. Mm. And the ones that weren't on medication actually got a call to see if there was anything they'd missed to find out whether they weren't on medication. <laughs> and so when I heard that story, I just, for me, it was just the most incredible example of mm. the mindset of the expectation of health post 50, 60 and beyond. Mm. And, you know, it's like, we've got this, I love what you, the, the phrase, never heard that wild medicine. We've got these suite of things that are available where we can, take our well-being in our own hands mm. and you know I, I'm looking at like I look at my mum right now and I'm like I want to do everything possible so that I'm walking in my 70s and 80s and it feels like every step of my fitness journey right now is is a sort of money in the bank account for later and of mm. course we never know what's going to happen but I want to stack the cards as much as mm. possible in my favor <laughs> yeah my friend rich who runs um enriched uh, a medicinal mushroom and protein shakes company um he, he's quite young still you know he's in his 30s but when i say wow you know you work out you commit you exercise you eat all this healthy food like tell me about that and he said it's my investment in my future but many of us don't think about those things until we're hit by illness, until we're hit by discomfort or until we're old, because, you know, there's a certain arrogance in youth. Um, you know, I try to instill in my children the value of listening to the body, the value of nourishing the body, of making healthy choices, you know, so that so that they're not working backwards from the time when actually those things slow down and change and are impacted. I mean, I feel stronger now than I've possibly ever felt in my entire life. Because the fitness is not coming from that pushing place. Yes, I was fit when I was 30. And I was doing circuit training four times a week and cycling everywhere. Of course, I was. But I was fit on one level. I wasn't fit in my emotions. I wasn't fit in my mind, because I hadn't really done the work that had led me to the point of the burnout and the slowing down. Whereas now, it's like, oh, actually, in order to be a great functioning, happy, healthy human being, it involves so much more than working one's body or so much more than just dieting or so much more than just focusing on breath work, but then not doing any of the inner work, you know, so our training actually incorporates so many of these aspects because it's rooted in something called the presence process. In this moment, I am here now. What am I feeling? Where does it come from? How do I avoid projecting that onto somebody else? How do I take responsibility and change what needs changing? And it's quite a deep journey into personal process alongside the actual training of facilitation in breathwork. Because as I said at the beginning, you can't take people where you haven't gone yourself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
and I I really love that distinction of, of your fitness journey and your health and well-being journey that difference between the pushing and allowing mm. and the, the doing it for those positive reasons of how strong can I get how good do I feel and all of these things and I think that's such a fundamental mindset shift <laughs> which which changes everything and you mentioned lung capacity so if somebody is listening and thinks oh how do I measure my lung capacity because I'm quite curious is this is that something that um I could easily do well I don't know about how you measure your lung capacity but breath awareness I mean you can they, you can use a pulse oximeter to measure okay. how much oxygen you have in your blood. And most people's it's supposed to be between 98 to 100 percent oxygen saturation. And when it's dropping, you know, 94 and below, there's issues, there's problems and it can tell you what your resting heartbeat is, et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of lung capacity, the majority of people are inhaling into the lungs at about between 30 and 50% of their total capacity because they're shallow breathing. And even if you are hyperventilating, as in you're breathing a lot, you can be shallow breathing. So if you take on these deep breathing practices in through the nose, for example, in a long, slow inhale, let's try it together now, like a, and you take a break at the top and then you take in a little bit more. And then maybe you could take in a little bit more and breathe out with a sigh on the exhale and let go you're starting to take that oxygen into the bottom of your lungs now the bottom of the lungs can be this sort of gray area where no oxygenated blood reaches there because we're breathing too shallowly so you kind of need somebody to work with you coach you guide you or you just need to inform yourself about um, how you can optimize your breathing, how you can breathe more fully. And that won't be through the mouth, that will be through the nose. Mm, yeah, thank you for sharing. And I realized I didn't ask you at the beginning <laughs> what it is that you do other than intricative breath. And I just wonder if there's anything else you'd like to share around that, because I know, for example, um, the, the shamanic work that you do is really important to you. So yeah, I'd love to hear anything you'd like mm. to share. Mm, what do I want to share? Um, shamanism is very important to me. It's a part of who I am. It isn't what I do. It's part of who I am. And I work with the medicine wheel in the ways that I was taught um, as a framework for life. And we actually bring some of that into our training as well as a framework for self-awareness because of the way the medicine wheel works, which would take too long to go into now. But it's a really useful tool of self-awareness for self-awareness. And for the ever-changing cycles, seasonally, of life, of the things that we move through, it's rooted in right relationship with nature. It's rooted in right relationship within communities and ageing and wisdom of elders and the innocence of youth and the vitality of youth. But it's based on the premise that those things are kept in balance and they're healthy. So it helps me work towards staying healthy. Um, and the other thing that's important to me is being real and not setting myself up in a guru position with as in oh really oh you're only there on your journey or you feel like that you know everybody is doing their best with what they've got at any given moment everybody is carrying some kind of well as i say again i'm talking about within the cultures that i've grown up in and live in some kind of trauma um and actually i did an event a workshop last weekend with my long-standing shamanic teacher Chris Lutikow of Northern Drum and that was really powerful because so much of shamanism is is rooted in the breath and breathing again another story another episode but as we were doing that workshop and integrating the shamanic practice with the breath it was really easy to um, find the links between the two to bring them into greater clarity and awareness and for me it was kind of like yeah all of this makes sense it's like how do i learn how to walk in beauty how do i learn to not be hierarchical he isn't that he's a great role model for somebody who walks in integrity never heard him speak badly about anybody he lives his practices he embodies his practices um and that's that's my life's work you know so i place great value in 
in shamanism. I place great value in, in having great role models and people that I aspire to be like because of the qualities that I see in them. And also, you know, in terms of me and what you were asking me about directly there, I'm really, really, really big into communication and community. And those things matter to me because I think everybody's looking for healing. The story that I realized I got slightly diverted there, but the thing that came up in, in Chris's workshop was that he'd been working with um, some or somebody he knew had been working with some indigenous teachers in different shamanic traditions and people from the West had been going to them as they often do. They might go out to the Amazon, they might go into the North American Plains Indians, they might go anywhere to do this work. And consistently when these shamans are being asked, what do you think is the problem with the West? They all go, well, you, your, your listeners won't be able to see, but I'm tapping my head <laughs> because they say everybody is in their mind. They don't know what it means to be in the moment or in the heart, in the body, because the path of shamanism is the path of the heart, the strong heart. And and that got me thinking about our relationship in the West with journaling, you know, because I was like, oh, Right, we write everything down because we need somewhere to dump all these thoughts and feelings. Can you imagine somebody sitting in the Amazon rainforest saying, I'll just whip my journal out <laughs> and, and process that thought. But we, we've become so accustomed to being in the mind rather than in the body and the breath in the moment that we kind of lost ourselves a bit. So for me, what's important is is bringing myself back constantly to those places and then supporting the people that I work with or that I train or whatever else to do the same. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, there's a multitude of things that, you know, my background is in uh, addictions research. It's also in uh, sexual freedom activism. So those, those parts of my journey are part of my story and part of who I am and what's important to me. So inevitably they come in somewhere. Mm, beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you're such a community builder <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and communication. I mean, they're just such powerful threads of who you are and what you do. Um, so any final wisdom that feels alive to share? And if mm. not, I have a final question for you. Oh, I don't know in this moment if there's any final wisdom, to be honest. Um, so find me with your question. Okay, well, as this is the Sexy Life podcast, I would love to hear what does living a sexy life mean to you? Oh. <laughs> uh, the more I come into self-awareness and self-responsibility, the more I learn to love myself, the more I learn to unlearn the patterns and the stories and the programs that I've been given the more freedom I find, the more freedom I find, the more pleasure I find, the more contentment I find. And so I think that's what living a sexy life is to me. It's actually being free from the shackles of, of all of the programming that tells us that we're not enough or that relationships should look like this or intimacy should look like that. Because I think there's such a huge spectrum of what we desire and what we consider to be sexy or not that if we can embrace our own uniqueness within that then we start to be living a sexy life yeah thank you thank you and where can people find you online i know you have the most fabulous instagram account which is just fantastic and full of incredible <laughs> juicy fabulous content and reels and all sorts and that's on with your integrative breath name yeah, that's at yeah. Integrative Breath on Instagram. And then we have um, integrative-breath.com website. And then I've got my personal website, which is still up, but I'm kind of revisioning at the moment, but it's there. And that's stephmagenta.com. And for people who are interested in your training, I know you're about to start your next round of training and that's already full. Um, so when is the next training? Well, the next training is... April 2023 and there are plenty of spaces on that there's information about that online you can go to our integrative-breath.com website and it's all made easy so you can just click a button to request a curriculum or click a button to request a call or an email and uh, that we're good at responding so 
please, 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 if you're interested in knowing more about this phenomenal work and how and why it can really help people, do come and find me. Mm. And also, please tell people about your Saturday morning breeze. Oh, yes. I always forget about that. Um, every Saturday morning, I offer a free online session that is great for community. It's great for practice. So you can be you can be a total beginner or you can be somebody who comes for your regular breathwork practice. And we have a whole range of people. It's a really wonderful, warm, inviting community. It's 35 minutes of breathing an introduction and a little bit of talking and then some integration at the end and so all are welcome to that and you can find the sign up link for that on my website or in my instagram profile links um yeah and i just want to mention very briefly um and you can edit this bit out if it comes in too late um i'm also due to be hosting the shift network breathwork summit again which will air at the beginning of january and which will be super exciting because it will have so many amazing speakers and people offering breathwork in the world so your listeners get to hear a huge range of the ways in which people are using the breath to Mm. build and and deconstruct community actually because there's a lot of conversation about decolonization at the moment within Mm. some of these fields and it's important conversation so yes absolutely wonderful well thank you so much for your time it's been a pleasure thank you sarah it really has love you loads see you very soon Thank you for listening to the Love, Sex and Intimacy podcast with me, Sarah Rose Bright. I support women and couples across the globe to truly enjoy sex and pleasure and to create or deepen intimate relationships that are passionate and purposeful, happy and healthy, and I'd love to support you. You can book a complimentary call via my website at sararosebright.com to find out if my approach is right for you. And check out my website for information about my one-to-one coaching programs and any current workshops, group programs and retreats that I'm running. Wherever and whenever you are listening, wishing you a beautiful day.